Connect. Influence. Optimize. You're listening to The Channel Channel, a podcast for executives and others involved in the authorized sale of electronic components. Brought to you by the ECIA, the Electronic Component Industry Association. Working to promote and improve the authorized distribution channel. Welcome to The Channel Channel. This is David Loftus, CEO of ECIA and host of this session of The Channel Channel, a podcast sponsored by the Electronic Components Industry Association, covering topics that are important for participants of the electronic supply chain. I'm very pleased to be joined today by Jim Kaplan, president of Cornell Dubelier Electronics and also board president of our ECI Foundation. Welcome, Jim. Thank you, David. Good morning. Really great to have you on the podcast this morning. Um, you know, everybody's still thinking a bit about the uh, pandemic. It's, uh, you know, certainly a little bit concerning to see Delta variant ramping in a few states, but overall it looks like pandemic is easing for some of us. Uh, you're up there in the Carolinas. How's it uh, around where you live? Well, we're probably a little better than most because we've never really been in the full lockdown. So people have always been in the habit of going to work, uh, handling it pretty well, but everybody seems to want to move to the Carolinas and all the businesses want to move to Carolinas. The construction boom down here is pretty crazy. So it is, it is hard to hire people. I think it's hard everywhere, but it's especially tough just because there's so much growth in this area. So we're keeping up with employees. Most of the companies we talk to are keeping up with employees, but it's the supply chain that doesn't really matter where you are in this country because we all got to deal with suppliers overseas in Ohio or California, wherever they are. And those issues, I don't think are any better here than they are anywhere. We're still having problems picking up goods at the ports, things like that. But the, the number of people hiring here is we're, we're in good shape. We have a lot of people who are willing to work and wanting to work, and we have a good uh, culture of work in South Carolina. Super. Hey, uh, we've been asking a few of our guests on the podcast about what they've done for fun during the pandemic. Uh, I know that you've got a passion for fishing. That sounds like a great hobby to have during a pandemic. Uh, any good recent fish stories for us? You know, I have the greatest fish story in the world, but it's a two minute story. And if we have time at the end, it is, it's a good one. But my <laughs> recent know. fish stories, no, I go, I fish between Georgia and South Carolina, the Chattooga River, which is a very remote, uh, they stock by helicopters. We don't have very large trout, but it is a gorgeous remote wilderness to fish. And I can fish if I go during the week, I can fish three miles a river literally by myself without seeing anybody. Problem is you fall and crack your head open, you're gonna die because there's no selfers <laughs> and nobody's gonna find you. Uh, other than that, it's the risk I take by doing remote trout fishing in, in South Carolina. Well, well, if that happens, then you just become fish food. There you go, that's right. <laughs> that's right. All right, so we're gonna look forward to hearing this fish story at the end. It'll give our listeners something to look forward to through our conversation. Hey, uh, tell us a bit about your business with CDE. I understand that you guys have, oh, your company's over 100 years old. 
We are 110 years old, started in 1909, uh, oldest capacitor company in the world, certainly one of the oldest component companies, and always made capacitors. It's all we've ever done. It's all we do now. It's the only thing I care to do. It's all I know. I've been working the company almost 35 years. I don't know about anything else. So I don't see a strain from capacitors. Uh, it's been in our family for about 40 years. My father, the only company he's ever worked for, he's been with them for 62 years. My father's now 86. Wow. Kind of retired 15 years ago, but still works. And we talk every week and get him involved in when we're doing fun, exciting stuff. But he uh, purchased a company from Exxon about 40 years ago. So it's been our family since then. And that's where we are. We got six plants in North America and Mexico. And we just do capacitors anywhere from one cent film capacitors to $50,000 particle accelerator capacitors. So very oh broad God. range. Really? We do everything except ceramic and tamalum, which are oh, the two really big markets. Uh, we do film and electrolytics, paper, mica, and that's what we do, David. Fantastic. Hey, so um, that's great that you've got to have a, a wonderful family business. The sideline for the family has always been ECIA and the ECIA Foundation. I, I know that you and your father have been involved for many, many years. I guess, please tell us why you're so passionate and making the time investments in our association? Well, you know, the industry 50 years ago was headed by the EIA, Electronic Industry Association. So now it's the ECIA, but my dad was always active. So when I was eight years old, nine years old, all the way through my teenage years, we went to the conferences because he was the board president of the EDS show. He was the president of EIA and they had these functions during the summer and people brought kids. So I've been going to EIA functions and meeting distributors and industry people uh, still in the business today or the kids are in the business today. I grew up doing that for every summer for most of my childhood. And then shortly after I joined the company after college and got involved in the industry very quickly. So I've really been involved in, in our industry associations almost my, more than mine for, you know, 45, 48 wow. years. So wow. it's just kind of part of what I've always done. Yeah. Well, so thanks so much for your contributions, Jim. And I guess your passion and ideas are bringing new life and new value to our foundation. A great example is the new education initiative that you've spearheaded. Can you share a little bit about uh, how this got started? Well, I, after you rotate off the, off the board of ECIA, they kind of stick you in the foundation board for next year, which is nice because it's an extra year. And one of the benefits of being on the board is so much networking, get to know the, the people in the industry. But the foundation board at that time was really three or four hours of the three-day meetings we had. So it was, you know, maybe 15% of the meeting, all the talk about how we were going to distribute a very small amount of money. We just didn't have a lot of money. So we'd, you know, spend hours talking about, are we going to give $5,000 or $10,000 to first robotics, et cetera. And I just didn't think the value of the time of all these people 
to distribute such a small amount of money was worth it. So when I became president, I said, you know, let's, let's make this a real foundation. Let's raise a lot of money and let's have a real foundation that gives us purpose, gives us goals, we can give back. But I, we couldn't come up with what we were gonna do. So as I tried to raise the money, people asked me what we were gonna do with it. And I really didn't have, I knew we could come up with something, but people don't like to give until they know what's going to her. And it was, it was a very good point. And I said, you know what, I don't know. We can't come up with something good, but it's not worth spending all this time with the foundation. So why don't we just keep the foundation as a separate entity that's managed by three or four of us because we don't have much money and we're not going to waste all these members' times for four hours. And that's what, that's what we did. And then shortly thereafter, we decided that, you know, there is a purpose. Why don't we come up with an educational module that will allow all the industry members to benefit because most of us don't do a good job training outside of our core competency. And there's so much to learn about the industry from distributors, reps, channel partners, and manufacturers, and everything. It's just, you know, it takes years to get used to it. So we thought we'd come up with this educational tool that everybody could use that would be hugely beneficial to the members. Uh, and that's kind of the, where the idea started with let's, let's find a purpose for the foundation. And that's kind of our newfound purpose right now that we're, we're in the middle of. That's great. Uh, I think it's an incredible initiative. And I, I know most companies that I've worked for, they've got intro training for new employees on their products and services, but very few companies out there have training about the industry in general. That's really interesting that most people that are new to our industry have to pick that up in bits and pieces by osmosis. Is that your experience? Oh yeah, I mean, we're, we're as bad as anybody. There's some who are really good. I've talked to a handful of companies, but I say handful, maybe two that claim they're really good at it and I'm sure they are. But admittedly, most of us say we stink. I mean, it's so very common that you have an employee, you know, a product manager, you might've promoted them or moved them up and they've been in this position for a year and a half. And then they're talking and they're, and you've mentioned terms and they're like, yeah, I, I'm still not sure what is design registration. And we're like, ugh, how do we not miss, how do, how do we, how do we get here? You know, what, so what's a split commission and you know, new employees, they're embarrassed to say they don't know these terms. That's so right. they just kind of let it pass. So they sit in meetings ignorant because they're afraid to ask because we do a poor job training. And years later, we're still trying to explain the difference between, you know, putting stuff in the channel for stocking packages for product releases that they don't understand and price files. So it was pretty evident that none of us do a good job. So collectively, all of us bringing bits and pieces of what we do well to the party and then going back to them and saying, can you help us with this and this, et cetera? Uh, I think we're well on our way to having three or four modules, really pretty good foundational to get out to our members to fine tune that can provide great value to our me all members. I think we're, we're well on that path to adding, adding value. Great. And I understand that we're going to create multiple training modules on the basics of the industry. 
Correct. So right now we've identified four. The first one is a general overview. And this is a comprehensive, these, these are not just definitions because there's three components to our industry, manufacturers, the reps, and the distributors. But, but those are complicated. You know, manufacturers, not just somebody who makes components. They have to develop products, R&D, engineering, sales, marketing. That has to be explained properly. It's not adequate just to say they make products. People, if, they, if they're new to the industry or new to manufacturing, they don't know what that involved. They don't know it takes three years to bring a product to market. They don't know they got to spend all this capital, et cetera. So very comprehensive definitions and descriptions of those three components of our industry. Terminology, you know, we lose, we use acronyms very loosely because we've used them so long and they're completely alien to new people. So we have comprehensive terminologies, how to bring products to market. That's something we all have to do. You gotta bring a product to market. It's very complicated. It takes a lot of product managers time, it takes a lot of the channel time and reps educated on how they learn it and what's involved with white papers and shows. So that's something that we have to focus on. And then the components in general, active and passives, just general descriptions. What's the difference between a, you know, a, a diode or a fan or a semiconductor, or a choke, a heat sink, whatever they may be, not so very in depth, but enough so people can say, let me understand with what a fan is in our industry or what's the difference between a tantalum ceramic capacitor and a ceramic capacitor and a discrete and non-discrete. We wanna cover that. So those are the four components we have currently identified there will certainly be more in the future as our members understand what we're doing we're going to solicit information from them they will collectively come to us and say hey we need this now now that we know that we have the resources let's get a module on this but those are the first four modules we have identified right now david that's great how's the progress on the initial modules excellent we have three almost completely finished. Uh, I think they're pretty close to kind of beta testing, getting out there. Uh, the component one we just started working on, that's a little more comprehensive, a uh, little harder for one group to manage that because everybody's definitions are within that, that core competency. So we want to go out to each individual company and saying, hey, you give us a little segment on resistors. You give us a little segment on fans and you give us a little part on uh, film capacitors. So that's going to take a little more time, but three of them are pretty well complete and we will be ready to beta test those to the members uh, within a month. Great. And I understand that we might even be able to exhibit a couple of them at the ECIA booth at EDS. That's correct. Yep. Well, we'll look forward to that. Hey, uh, you also had the idea to make this a tribute to one of the pioneers of our industry, Paul Andrews, founder and CEO of TTI, who recently passed. Why did you think it's so fitting to include Paul's name in the, in the name of the training? Well, it was um, timely and of course, untimely. Uh, timely for Deb and I were, and you were tossing around these ideas just when Paul passed. So while we were in the midst of, of coming up with these modules, we didn't have any way of paying for it. We just had the idea that this is what we want to do, but we knew it had to be funded. Each year, you have to take this, these modules 
because they're always going to be modified. It's a living document. So you have to modify it. You have to have a, a third party who's going to add the video and the comprehensive testing and put it in a, in a, a good visual format that people enjoy. And we can't do that. We don't have that skill set. So it takes money each year to do this. So we knew we had to have funding. So in the middle of this, Paul, Paul passes. And then anybody who knew Paul immediately recognized that this is the perfect statesman for our industry. He's been it for 60 years. He starts admittedly probably the most successful passive distributor in the world, uh, still running it, still was actively involved all the way down to the minutia, was the most unsupposing, unpretentious person you could know. So he was such a, a great person that you have to admire somebody who's that wealthy but when you speak to him at a party, you wouldn't have known whether he was a product manager or ran the channel or just did what for the company because that's how unsupposing he was. And education was important to him. He gave a huge amount of money to A&M and TCU, elementary schools in Fort Worth and, and middle schools and high schools. So he's a big proponent of, of education. His employees are just different. I mean, people know we all have exposure to TTI employees. I'm not saying they're, they're better than other people in the industry, but they don't change. You know, whoever Paul hired, they are there. People who have been there, you know, everybody it's seemingly we work with have been there for 10, 20, 30 years. There's no turnover. So everything we want to do well, want a rel company, be generous, be kind, be successful, be hardworking. Paul embodied all that. So it seemed fitting that while we're in the midst of this, to go back to the industry and said, look, now here's a way to raise money. This is the cause. It's for the industry and let's do it in Paul's name. And that made it easy. Great. And the name PACE training, Paul Andrews Continuing Education is what we've adopted. Correct. Super. Hey, uh, initially we thought this was going to be an additional subscription-based service, uh, but through your foundation fundraising activities, it looks like we're, we're going to be able to make this a standard ECIA member benefit, right? Correct. We have uh, various, most most industry members have, that we've reached out to have already given to it. So we have enough money to get all of this done, have it funded for a few years, for sure. So we know we've got it funded. What we would like to do is have this funded in perpetuity so we just don't have to worry about that anymore. So if we decide we want to have a new module here and it's going to cost $30,000 to develop uh, and get integrated into the format that we like, we have the money for it. So we are, we are on our way to do that. That is our ultimate goal to complete the fundraising and say it's done. And now we can focus on the education portion getting the members to work together collectively to develop these. Uh, and that's where we're at. So yes, we're off to a, a great start and we're getting outstanding support from reps, manufacturers, and distributors. It's universally accepted. They just, I haven't, I've had a handful of people who have not, uh, they're going to donate, but they might donate in a smaller fashion, but I don't, I've, I've only been turned down by one person. They had a very good reason. That's it. And I've called 
a lot. I, when we're talking 50, 60 phone calls and we're, we're, we're going to get there, David. Oh, that's, but that's we still great. Need yeah. help. We're not done. So I don't want to say, oh, we're there. We're not there. But I think we have the momentum and the enthusiasm to get it done. But we still have not finished reaching out to all of the distributors, all of the reps, all the manufacturers. So I'm hoping they will support it as much as we've been supported from the early donors. Good. So those people that haven't gotten a phone call, they should expect one. Yeah, they will be getting one for sure. <laughs> hey, uh, well, I know we're still hoping for more donations. And since it is the foundation, those donations are tax deductible, correct? That's correct. 501c3. That's correct. Yeah. Very good. Hey, any other foundation activities you'd like to highlight for the audience? Uh, no, I think this is it. Boy, this is full time. This is a biggie. This has taken a tremendous amount of time. Uh, Debbie, I know, is is really spending a significant portion of her time on it. And it's 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 pretty much full time. We want to get these modules out there. So I'm embarrassed to say we are singularly focused on this and only this right now, David. We do have other activities that we do give to um, schools and first robotics, uh, but they really do pale in comparison to the efforts we're putting forth on this. Yeah, yeah, great. Hey, I would probably should uh, put in a plug for our service partner, Electrics. Uh, Graham Kilshaw and his team are the ones that are working with our uh, member training experts on putting together these initial modules. So thanks to Graham and the team. Hey, uh, so I think we've got maybe two minutes left for your best fish story ever. Oh, oh this is the best. Okay, this is, th this is not embellished, it's a true story. So my favorite fishing story. So uh, I'm working in Mexico 20 years ago and I invite my college roommate who's living in Los Angeles to go fishing on the Sea of Cortez. So the Sea of Cortez where we fish is an hour and a half south of the American border and it is 20 miles beyond where power ends. So for the last 20 miles, you're in a dirt road, there's no power, there's no anything. You're past the villages, there's no, no, no people living. And we pick this random cove that I've been at a few times with the the maintenance department from our Mexican facility fished, but it is in the middle of nowhere. And we get down there and we don't bring any food because we always catch fish. So we're fishing. So it's the next morning. It's now 11 o'clock. We've caught two fish. We've caught a trigger fish. It's about a two pound trigger fish and a blowfish. And I grew up in New Jersey catching blowfish. So I've got these two fish. My friend Jeff knows nothing about fishing, cleaning fish. So I'm cleaning the fish. So I'm Sitting at the fire, Jeff's made the fire. I have this five gallon bait bucket with a trigger fish and a blowfish, and I am ready to clean it. It's that simple, gonna gut it, clean it. I, I'm, I'm literally getting ready to clean this fish. And in the cove walks this bearded gentleman. He's about 30 feet away from me. The water's about 30 feet away. He walks around the corner, bends, down into the water, does something in the water. It takes him all of five seconds and he walks towards us and we're taken aback and wondering who is this person? We're in the middle of nowhere. I mean, this is a little, little spooky. We're not sure why he's there. And he starts talking English. He goes, oh, what are you guys doing here? So well, we're fishing. What are you doing here? Oh, I'm from the University of California and uh, there's an algae in bloom and I come here once a year to get it. Just got my water samples and, and that's it. 
So this, this guy's come from five hours away to take a water sample. And he looks at me and says, what are you doing? I said, well, I'm getting ready to clean the fish. He looks at my bait bucket and says, what you doing with those? I said, well, I'm getting ready to clean them. He goes, you know, that's uh, a fugu. I think he said fugu or fuyu. I think it's a fugu blowfish. That's the most toxic fish in the world. 20,000 <laughs> times more deadly than cyanide. And when you cut it open to clean it out, your throat will, be, will swell up. You'll be dead in three minutes. It's 100% fatal. And he turns around and leaves and disappears. Now, this man came from five hours away literally for a minute to get us a sample. And in five minutes, I would have died on that beach. Oh my, my throat God. would have swelled up. And that would have been it. Wow. He so saved my life. Fish, and it's a good one. <laughs> and that is a true story. <laughs> Wow, that's crazy. Well, Jim, we're so happy the blowfish didn't take you out. Absolutely. <laughs> Cortez. That's right. That's yeah. right. Hey, uh, thanks so much for your time today. And thanks so much for your service to ECIA and our industry. You're welcome. Thank you, David. Travel safely to Oshkosh. <laughs> thanks so much. Hey, uh, so that's a wrap for today. I hope you'll all join us for our next Channel Channel interview. We hope all of you and your families are staying safe. Take care.